Hello and welcome to the Learn Chinese Insights podcast, brought to you by ChineseLearnOnline.com, your progressive online Mandarin course. In each episode, I interview someone who has learned Chinese as a second language to find out how they learned and what they're doing with this Chinese now. So in this episode, I'm happy to have Kieran Earle. Kieran, before we begin, can you give us a short introduction in Chinese and then we'll go from there? Hi, Kieran. 跟老人讲话，我觉得那个有有帮我的中文进步最多最有效。啊，后来我也是搬到台中，台中的沙路有一个大学有一个机会，让我在那边学，所以我在那边四年也是顺便有学一些中文课。That's me. Okay, very good. That's probably the longest intro anybody's done. So uh, you're from Canada, from Victoria, is it? That's correct. All right. So what uh, brought you to Taiwan in the first place? Well, as a young Canadian man, I had discovered that there was more to life than just uh, working in a minimum wage job and paying, living a sort of the Canadian lifestyle of uh, having a job so you can have a car, so you can have a car, so you can go to have a job and work. It just seemed like an endless cycle and uh, wasn't very exciting. So, uh, like many other young Canadians, I decided to go and see the world. And my friend said, hey, check out Taiwan. So, I came to Taiwan. All right. So, when you came here, it was just meant to be for like a year and then you go back type of thing? Not even a year. Uh, actually, two months uh, was the original plan. Uh, and I extended that up to uh, five-ish, five or six months, somewhere in there. And then I went back for a bit. And then it, you had a calling to come back. Oh, I just, uh, it was sort of, that's what I ended up doing. And uh, I was enjoying it. So, yeah, I had to come back. All right. So you mentioned that uh, you started learning Chinese in Taipei. I did, yeah. Just at a uh, a real cheap little, uh, little language school in the, right next to the uh, train station. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't even know if it's still there, but uh, it's the kind that the government didn't really like at the time. And uh, I found it to be just as good as the as the more appropriate ones, the more formal education centers and uh, university classes. I found no real difference. Same books, same style of teaching. So just the, they weren't licensed or what's the deal? Oh, they were licensed, but they were just a small language school. Oh, okay. And the government was always trying to push us into going to university and uh, doing those classes. Yeah. All right. So this was teaching, reading, writing, everything. Uh, I I honestly feel that the uh, the reading and writing portion was was not done very well. Um, I I wish I had had more of that. Uh, I ended up doing most of that just as my own homework, and it wasn't really the most effective way of doing it because I ended up just basically doing, uh, sitting at home, 
uh, writing stuff out for ages and ages and, uh, you know, not super high on the retention level, very easy to forget characters. Mm-hmm. Now, what you were learning, would you practice that on the streets when you're outside? Well, in terms of in terms of conversational Chinese, yeah, I, uh, I was I was constantly uh, going to the parks and uh, doing my homework and not getting any of it done, ending up just basically chatting the whole afternoon with my uh, the people that I met in the park. And you might argue that uh, that's probably why my characters didn't come along too well, but that was only half of my homework time, and I, I found it very very helpful. Yeah, you mentioned in the intro that that was the most yep. effective part of your learning yeah especially they had no teeth most of them they were you know uh, old old people and they had poor chinese skills they spoke you know, a little bit of taiwanese in there a little bit of a uh, little bit of japanese with some of the older ones and yeah it was it was a mess and uh it was a fantastic experience and i learned very quickly and uh i can handle without much difficulty people with thick accents and uh and uh, poor clarity, and uh, it's not a problem. It, it's very good for my uh, skill set. Yeah, I find with with some of the locals, they're very curious about you when you look like a foreigner, and the moment you open up with them, then you know they'll open up as well, and you can get very yeah. good practice that way. And having having a Chinese book and and some writing, or maybe some if you want to grab some calligraphy equipment and do that in the park. I mean, right right there it's a fantastic experience but at the same time it also opens the door and people feel comfortable coming up and talking to you whereas if you're just sitting there you know looking at your phone or something they're probably not going to come say hi Hmm. so at this point was your goal obviously you wanted to learn chinese uh was it just for your own uh hobby or did you well i I wanted I had come here and then I I had ended up living here for for several months and uh, I had to sort of make a decision. Am I visiting or am I living here? And as soon as the decision was made that I'm going to be living here for a while, uh, the decision uh, to start learning the language just came with it. It's just sort of assumed. Mm -hmm. Then you mentioned you moved to Taichung to Providence University? That's correct. Uh, After I sort of didn't really do much with my Chinese after about six, six, maybe even nine months, uh, sort of drop in uh, the seriousness that I was putting into the effort that I was putting into the classes. Um, and then uh, an opportunity came up to go to university through one of the programs that Taiwan offers, and I took it. And then I had an, a more opportunity to study Chinese as well, and so I took advantage of that. So this opportunity, it was like a scholarship? Yeah, yeah. Taiwan has some really good scholarship offerings, especially for for foreigners uh, to, to study here in Taiwan. So basically foreigners here can get a degree all paid for? Uh, I wouldn't say all paid for, but um, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good situation. Plus the cost of living here is so much cheaper than it is back home. That for me is the is the biggest thing that made made the difference. That because I couldn't quite afford it in uh, in Canada, just because the cost of living was quite quite a, a serious concern when you look at the expenses. Whereas uh, you know uh, you come here and the cost of living is is so much lower, and you can get by on a small part time job making a couple hundred bucks a month. You know. 
So this degree, it was the same degree that local students get? Yep. So the classes were in English or Chinese or what? Uh, well, I took, uh, I took a language course in Spanish language, oddly enough. And um, yeah, the classes were either in Chinese or Spanish. There wasn't a whole lot of English in the, in the classes. Although, if I did have a question, there were one or two teachers that, that were able to answer my questions um, but yeah, ch- primarily Chinese and Spanish for Spanish language courses. So if you had no Chinese ability, you wouldn't be able to get this degree? I would say it would have been more difficult, but uh, to be to be completely honest, some of the more advanced grammar concepts were beyond my Chinese ability. Uh, for example, the use of the subjunctive mode in uh, Spanish is not something that most English speakers um, are familiar with. And so that was something that I had to kind of just do my own research on, on the side and figure figure out what that was all about. Uh, that probably would have been very difficult to learn for anyone in Chinese, and it was difficult for me. Whereas there were plenty of other things that, you know, just general ability would have been okay. And plus, of course, it being as it was actually a Spanish degree, if if you were particularly good at picking up languages or if you had a bit of background with Spanish, then it would have been much easier as well. The grammar courses were generally taught in Chinese, and uh, that would have been a, a little difficult. But Spanish grammar isn't that difficult overall. Wow. So normally learning another language, any language, is a challenge in itself. So in this case... You're learning another language using a third language, right? Yeah, um, and actually, I've I've done some research on um, the subject of education because, of course, as a as a person who did make some his living, my living, who did make my living here um, for a while as a teacher, I did have to get a little bit of grounding in uh, some sort of language skills and language teaching skills, and and I learned that uh, actually learning. More than one language at the same time is is even a, a, a very effective way of getting a nice rounded out uh, knowledge as well as sort of stimulating the brain to, to work a little harder. So uh, I, I recommend it. I think it's a great idea. And it has helped me to have a little bit more proficiency in terms of going straight from Spanish to Chinese, straight from Chinese to, say, French or or to English, English to Spanish. It gives a versatility that probably wouldn't have been there if I hadn't had that sort of constant mix. Mm-hmm. Now, your your classmates in this program, were they all local Taiwanese or were there other foreigners here? There were a few foreigners in the class as well. Um, only one or two actually completed the course uh, for the full four years. And the vast majority of the other students were Taiwanese. Okay. And were they open to having you in their class? Like, did they just treat you as one of their own, or was there a bit of a novelty that, ooh, you're a foreigner here? Well, there's always a bit of a novelty. Because I wasn't doing the English course itself, uh, the the students there weren't like your typical I-want-to-learn-English crowd. Mm. Um, Most of them weren't particularly interested in learning English, and I very, very, very few occasions to uh, actually use English with my classmates. So on, on those levels, it was primarily uh, as a Taiwanese person 
dealing with somebody else in Chinese. Uh, I would say there was a bit of a culture barrier. These were a little more conservative uh, type of people, a little more shy. I still do uh, have con- uh, communication with some of them, mm-hmm. but not a lot. Mm. Uh, and they are a little on the shy side. So I suppose in general, if uh, you're a foreigner here and you have some Chinese ability, this is actually a good way to further that ability by getting a local degree, especially if it's mostly paid for. Yeah, I, I think it's a fantastic opportunity. Um, it's it's definitely enriched my life. Uh, I have friends through that situation that I would not have met otherwise, and I've had a, a chance to view the culture in a totally different way as well. Right. All right, so let's talk about job-wise. So as you went through that program, uh, you mentioned you were teaching English on the side. So what happened after you finished? Well, I uh, I did have the opportunity to move into the bicycle industry a little bit, and uh, that uh, sort of spelled the end for my teaching, uh, and that was okay. I... Sort of so what did you what did you start off yeah. doing there? Uh, well, I started off uh, selling sort of a sales position, selling clothes uh, clothes with one of the companies that does uh, clothing manufacturing in Taiwan for the cycling industry. So, what qualified you for that position? Uh, well, they liked that I spoke several languages, so I, the English, French, and Spanish. Uh, plus, I was able to communicate fairly easily with them in Chinese. That was good. And they did like having a foreign face on the on the booth at the Taipei show. So I was specifically mm-hmm. hired immediately for uh, the Taipei show uh, event. And then they got along well with me. So then they offered me a job after that, and I ended up working there for about a year and a half, maybe two years. So it was oh, no. doing it was doing the same type of thing. Yeah, mostly sales follow up uh, follow up stuff, uh, talking to people after. And uh, ironing things out, making sure that the the lines of communication were clear, and um, yeah. So enjoy doing that. Yeah, it was okay. Uh, if you're if you're into sales, then that's good. And uh, I'm sort of here here or there on uh, on sales. It's not particularly something I'm I'm great at, but uh, yeah, it's always an interesting experience to talk to new people. Is that what you're still doing now? Uh, no, actually, I am sort of a general purpose guy at a different uh, bicycle company right now, at a, at a manufacturing company here in, uh, in Taichung. Mm-hmm. So if you had uh, advice for someone who, let's say, was here in Taiwan teaching English and they want to try something different in a different type of career. Uh, well, there's there's yeah. definitely a lot of people that are in those shoes, uh, a lot of people that are looking to do something a little different. I, I definitely feel that if you want to present yourself as, as a professional working in a different field, have some professional skills for that field. Uh, if you're good at sales, then that's a, that's a phenomenal skill. Uh, if you are good with some sort of technical field, then that's also a useful skill. But make sure that you have it at uh, sort of a marketable level if you would feel comfortable uh, joining a company in in your home country with that as your as your skill base, then by all means you're you've got a great opportunity to find work here. Uh, if you're not great at sales, like myself, not particularly great at sales, um, and your skills are more technical oriented, but 
they're not particularly polished, then by yeah, I would say it's a good idea to polish up your skills. I don't think that the language ability is is the key factor. I think having um, either one really polished skill or a variety of fairly well-polished skills is really going to be the best way forward. Uh, I tend to do a lot more computer-side stuff, and uh, because Taiwanese businesses tend to work more as small business style, uh, they tend to be a little bit more um, interested in people who can who can work with like a bootstrapping kind of a low budget uh, resourceful type people who can get a lot of stuff done and get interesting things done uh, without uh, without a lot of uh, a lot of budget and a lot of support crew. Mm. So now you mentioned, of course, having some marketable skills. Uh, did being able to speak Chinese help? I definitely would say yes. Uh, it was my foot in the door. Uh, it was the way that I got started into things, and the other skills that I have probably aren't as polished, uh, sorry, aren't as polished as I would like them to be. But because there's enough of the different types of things that I can do, it seems to have worked out quite well. Mm -hmm. uh, the language aspect of it as well has made me quite useful um, because I speak the four largest languages on the planet, um, that's always handy too. Oh, so you're actually using all these other languages in your day-to-day -day work too? Uh, I wouldn't say it's very often, but perhaps uh, four or five times out of the year I'll pull on my Spanish ability and maybe twice a year on my French. Mm -hmm. All right. And uh, so since you've gone through, uh, as far as learning Chinese goes, you've gone through different ways of learning from class and classroom to street learning to getting an actual degree mm -hmm. uh, for someone who's here I know there's a lot of foreigners who live here whose Chinese isn't as good as they'd like it to be mm -hmm. uh, what advice would you give to them for what would you recommend is the best way to improve your Chinese well I have some very strong feelings on this because I've gone through uh, both a practical type of learning and I've also gone through a very sort of book-oriented type of learning. Uh, my Spanish ability isn't as good as I would like it to be, and it's given me a, a chance to see through the eyes of the Taiwanese people who have learned in the same edu education style as as I did for Spanish. And so I, I know how they feel when they're afraid to speak in English to a foreigner, because I have that same feeling when I'm considering speaking Spanish to a Spanish-speaking person, and I'm afraid of it too. And so turn that around into Chinese, and I found that the biggest thing that has helped me with that is that I didn't put so much emphasis on the book side of it and the classroom side of it. So some of the things that I did instead, like I started just going to the park and talking to people and got my basic conversation abilities there. And then the next step to that was actually to to find some projects that had personal relevance to me, uh, some things that I wanted to do because I felt like I wanted to do them. Um, some of my personal interests include classical guitar, um, photography, videography, um, sort of Photoshop, all of those sort of digital technical things, computers and electronics and uh, working on scooters, working on cars, working on bicycles, all of these different things 
are, are things that I feel passionate about. And I found that by pursuing these interests with local interest groups, um, that's a place where I have been able to make a lot of progress in practical speaking ability and also in the ability to speak about certain things. And uh, I know that from my from my education in in learning how to teach that that this comes down to the role of the hippocampus. When you take in information, the the hippocampus helps you to sort that out. And when it's a higher relevance, when it's something you're interested in, you feel like you need to know this or you want to know this, you're gonna keep it. And it's it's it makes all the difference in the world. I still can remember with great clarity, characters and sentence structures and grammar patterns that I learned because I needed to know it. And because of that, those areas progressed extremely rapidly. And I was proficient in, I would say, like basic conversational Chinese within months. It wasn't a long time. And I think anyone can do that just by finding things they want to learn, finding things they, they feel interested in, and the brain will take care of the rest. Hmm, that's very interesting. And there's also kind of a cultural aspect to this too, because then you get to mingle with locals and see how they think and how they uh, pursue these type of activities on their side too. Eh? Yeah, I think I think that gives us a, an area of commonality. I don't think we see the the, the way things are done di- uh, so differently. I think that we just have an opportunity to share in the experience and that can actually make lasting friendships. And I'm sure they appreciate it too because they get to see your kind of foreign perspective on something that interests them, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a great interchange. And uh, lastly, just in general, your, uh, your experience here in Taiwan. So I mentioned before, there's a lot of foreigners who live here who kind of stay in the big cities and eat in Western restaurants and they don't actually get to, to see the local culture. Can you talk about some of the interesting experiences you've had in Taiwan where if you were to describe this to someone back home, that wow, that sounds amazing. It's just so different from what we would do here. Well, yeah, I definitely feel that this comes down to finding ways of taking interest in what you're trying to learn. So I took an interest in calligraphy and I found it to be a, a beautiful art form and a skill that is beyond my beyond my reach. I'm not very artistic and I don't do it very well. I don't handle a brush well. So I sought out a teacher and because I found a teacher, we basically did a language exchange and then her husband uh, was a calligraphy teacher. He was actually an expert. And because of this uh, this connection, I got a chance to meet a man who was an expert in not only calligraphy but also artifact jade and also artifact swords so i've got to see some incredible artifacts two three four five six hundred years old maybe even older i I don't even recall i got a chance to do calligraphy sitting on a small table up in the mountains and drinking green tea with the music of the erhu in my ear and uh just in the dark of night we had a chance to go up to the roof and write some things in calligraphy on these sky lanterns, and just various different things through through this opportunity. That's that's a cultural experience that I think not many people get. And it's a it's a result of just trying to trying to take it in. 
be be aggressive and be active in in trying to take in knowledge rather than going to sort of a class and being passive about it. That's the biggest thing that I've I've taken away from it, and I think it's enriched my my stay here. Yeah, that's very very fascinating. In fact, that how you described it, that might be what people think Taiwan is like. And then yeah, they come w- here and they live in the big city and they're like, well, it's not like that. But actually, it could be if you you know go look for such experiences. Absolutely, absolutely. I've I've had a chance to go and visit a Bunong village, and uh, got to walk along the uh, the mountain ridges, and we got to see monkeys, and and they got to tell me about what different kinds of monkeys they are based on the teeth marks in the immature passion fruits that are strewn about on the trail side. Right. Yeah, if you get into it and you you do it with a hunger and a thirst for for learning and a thirst for bringing bringing those experiences into your life. They'll, they're there they're there for the taking. Wow, okay. Thanks. That was uh very enriching. Uh hopefully uh listeners will will find benefit from your insights and I'd be happy to share any comments that people have about this. Great. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks, Kieran. All righty.